I had to die to my father or die to myself, and I realized that I, I would rather die to him. Pretty much ended up happening, and so my fears were relatively justified. Welcome to the game where we talk about how to get more customers, how to make more per customer, and how to keep them longer, and the many failures and lessons we have learned along the way. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Well, I usually ask my guests, how did you get this job? So I was a management consultant uh, right out of college. Uh, I did space, cyber, and intelligence for the military, which was um, sounds much cooler than it really was, but I had a top secret clearance. It sounded really good at dinner parties and just about only that. <laughs> um, and, you know, one day I looked out uh, from my balcony because I had a really nice place because I could afford it at the time. And I was like, is this it? And I was, you know, in my young 20s. You know, at that point, I had done everything that I think I was supposed to do. So I was, you know, I did well in school. I, you know, was president of all the clubs, you know, graduated in three years, got the good job. And I realized that it was, I was living, you know, a life for me that my father wanted me to live. And so that was kind of, you know, I went, I, I faltered back and forth for probably a period of six months of really not wanting this to be my life, but not wanting to let my dad down. And so at some point, the the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge was I can either, you know, die to myself or I can die to my father. And at the end of the day, you know, I have to survive. So I will, <laughs> if I, if I make this decision and he no longer wants to be my dad, then I can accept that. Wow. Was that extreme then? Yes. Say more about that. Are you an only child? Yeah. Um, so only child raised by a single father, um, Middle Eastern. Um, he was born in Iran. And, um, you know, I, I, everything in my life up until that point was really just to make him proud. So I, it was very much a seeking approval, seeking validation kind of drive at that point in my life. And so the idea of disappointing him or not getting his approval felt like death. And at that point, I was actually contemplating not living. You have watched some of my YouTube stuff. Mortality has been the single biggest driver and the biggest decisions that I've made in my life. And it has become a more routine process for decision making for me in general. Uh, because I think it it provides clarity and it provides context to most of the decisions we have, which the vast majority of them don't matter, which is helpful <laughs> in and of themselves. And then, you know, beyond that, it helps me make the decisions that I think removes everyone else from the playbook. Because if you if you study subjective well-being and how people perceive how they're doing in their own lives, it looks like a smiley face. So seven-year-olds think they're killing life. <laughs> and then it it drops dramatically between 20 and 30. And then there's still a little bit more of a dip right around 45. That's like when people are their truths, <laughs> they, they hate life the most. <laughs> and then and then it kind of slowly get, goes up to like 55, 60. And then it shoots right back up again when people see that they're going to die and that life is short and that they can make the decisions without worrying about the ramifications of other people. And some of the people they're worried about are also dead. And so it was using that context for that biggest decision that's been duplicated many times in my life since then. Because if I have a good decision-making algorithm, I try and reuse it as many times as I can. Let's unpack it for the audience a little yeah. bit. So, you know, when we're seven, we don't have a care in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, the artist or the whatever we want to be has not been beaten out of us yet. Right. Uh, no one's told us that we are not what we think we are. Yeah. We're still popping wheelies and climbing trees and falling yeah. out, and that's okay. And then you get to your 20s and 30s, and you, the rubber hits the road a little bit. And if you've made money, I guess, and if that's your sign of success, then you're okay. But if not, you're kind of hosed. Then in your 40s, I'm guessing uh, you start to have more life experience. 50s, maybe you start caring less what people think. And then um, and then you fast forward all the way to maybe near death. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and then you really get to a point where you don't care what anyone says and you really boil it down to what's important. And probably I'm guessing that's love, relationships, uh, legacy. And then you're just like, peace out. I think for most people, yes. Yeah. Uh, for me specifically, the legacy piece less so, um, but I think for most people, yes. 
and uh, why is the legacy piece less important? Um, more so, and I, I, whenever I get into this topic, I think a lot of, like, some people get, get sensitive about it, and so I just like to put the disclaimer, like, this is not me judging your beliefs, and me stating my beliefs is in no way yeah. a judgment on anyone else. Um, but if you just look at expanding the time horizon over a much longer period of time, if you look at it at, in 10,000 years, or 100,000 years, or a million years, right, the easy way to test this is to go backwards, right, which is, do you know your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather? Probably not. And then if you look at it from a, how much has somebody achieved standpoint, um, I happen to be in, a, in an interesting situation where my great-great-grandfather was in the ruling class in Iran, and he had 400 children. So he would literally, you know, like ruled and had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of wives to create 400 children, right? And I actually still can't remember his name because I, I, my dad told me one time and I can't remember it. And I've never seen any of the, quote, legacy that I'm sure he felt like he was leaving. And so if that was that level of success and legacy... And only four or five generations later, I don't even remember the man's name, nor do I have any piece of that legacy. Yeah. It seems a little bit irrelevant. When the revolution happened in Iran, we talk about legacy. Lands, buildings, houses, bank accounts. Government just says, those are ours now. Mm -hmm. That's it. There's your legacy. Gone. So that's why I'm like, and people are like, I want to build a legacy. I'm like, the U.S. might not even be the superpower in 500 years. Your kids, your kids might be in, in, in Bangladesh. Who knows? India might yeah. be the, the hot spot in 500. No one knows, right? And I think on a long enough time horizon, we're all screwed. And I think in some ways people find that incredibly disheartening. But an equal opposite is you can't find it both disheartening and also not freeing. Because all of the decisions that we're making that are not for ourselves are subject to change that we feel pressure from, whether that be society, societal, I'll put quotes there because that's a big word. Um, or family, friends, expectations that we perceive other people to have of us. Um, if, you can, if you can just relinquish all of those chains, I think it's incredibly freeing. And um, I choose to live that way. That advice is good because it helps us live in the moment. Because it, you know, even if you believe in something after, yeah. that's still in the future. Yeah. And there's a question mark because no one actually knows right. with, you know, with knowledge what happens. Yeah. Or if something happens. So, so you might as well live in the present, make the best of it. Yeah. An interesting one um, that I thought through around that was um, a lot of us, not all, a lot of us, all of us, have 100% experience uh, not being alive, <laughs> right? Before we were born, we were not alive. And so we know what that was like. There was nothing um, that we can recollect. Right. And so I would imagine that that's the closest experience that we can have to not being alive yet again, which to me is not that frightening. Yeah. And it is freeing, you're right, because it's it's both uh, humbling to know yeah. that you don't matter yeah. in the grand scheme of things, but at the same time, you matter infinitely if you just focus on the present and the the mark that you're going to leave here and now. I, I, I contemplated, I had to die to my father or die to myself, and I realized that I, I would rather die to him, um, which pretty much ended up happening. And so my fears were relatively justified. He was not in support of the things that I wanted to do. I ended up quitting that job, sold everything I had, packed my car, went to California, because that's where I thought the land of fitness opportunity was, because that was the only thing I really enjoyed. I mentored under a guy for a few months to try and at least learn the ropes, started my first facility, slept on the floor for the first nine months, which was a very terrible experience for me. And, and timestamp the age for me now? You I was are... 20... Three. So you graduated early, you got that dream job, and then you bailed. Yep. Yeah. Two years. And that was really at the time, um, and all of this kind of, it was at the uh, a splitting point where I had done two years, and the kind of career path traditionally is like two to four years of management consulting, and then you go back to an Ivy League for your GMAT, and then from there you go into, you know, you can, you can go do investment banking, you can do private equity, you can do, you know, some of the bigger white-collar jobs, but um, it was, I didn't want more of what I had, and so... 
I thought that I would have a better shot taking $200,000 in two years, which is what the, you know, economic equivalent of what the degree was and starting something on my own. I figured I would learn more in the first two years and with that money and maybe even have a business by the end of that period of time that made an equivalent amount of money compared to what I would have had as a job offer. Hey guys, real quick, if you're new to the podcast, I have a book on Amazon called $100 million offers at over 8,000 five-star reviews. It has almost a perfect score. You can get it for 99 cents on Kindle. The reason I bring it up is that I put over a thousand hours into writing that book and it's my biggest gift to our community. So it's my very shameless way of trying to get you to like me more and ultimately make more dollars so that later on in your business career, I can potentially partner with you. So that's my give. Go check it out, Amazon and back to the show. What signals did you get? I mean, you're saying like, I wasn't feeling it, but like, where was your motivation? Because I see you as this hustler, this go-getter is all about gobbling up new opportunities. It transcends beyond that now. But like at first, it sounds like you were just all about the go-get. But how did you know? I mean, at first I was driven by fear. Okay. It was all fear. Fear of failure, fear of disappointment, fear of other people's judgment. Right. Um, What did your dad end up saying? Did he say, good luck with you? No, he thought he was stupid. He thought I was wasting my life. Yeah. And wasted a degree that he'd spent money on and yeah. wasted a good job opportunity that he had set up for me, all these things. Right. In his defense, did he immigrate here? Yeah. Okay. So in his defense. 100%. Right. And I just want to tell the audience, so that yeah. they, they're not like, but, 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 but. It's like, you know, if you He's have. justified in saying that. Yeah. If you escape from a country where there's trauma mm-hmm. um, and impending danger, and your son squanders an opportunity, yeah. you might get a little anxious about that. 100%. I mean, my dad came here with $1,000, you know, and a, and a medical degree. Yeah. And then built everything. Didn't even speak English. Right. I think what he did was harder than what I've done. Like, I got to, I got to stand on his shoulders. Okay. You know? In what way? I mean, I speak English. <laughs> okay. So. You know, like, just the basics. Like, I speak English. I went to a good school. Just all the, the support infrastructure, known and unknown, that was around me yeah. um, to, you know, to be successful. Yeah, I think it's healthy to recognize your privilege. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it came with lots of baggage, too. And so you had signals which were mainly fear-based. Yeah. And I, I mean, the, the biggest thing that made the decision for me, I would say I had the logical decision and then I had the emotional decision. The emotional decision was, I don't want to do this. This is not the life I want to lead. I am not happy doing this every day. I would prefer to not be alive if this is what my life will be continuously. If I would prefer to not be alive, then that kind of opens up my decision calculus. And what was it, I'm trying to put my finger on, what, what, what was it that made you happy? Was it just the freedom to do what you want? I didn't know what made me happy. I knew it was not making me happy. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's another important lesson too, if I can just extract them. You know, I'm sure a lot of people watching, they feel the same kind of family pressure. Um, they want to be what other people expect them to be yeah. if, you know, if that's who you are, and that's totally normal. But we should always remember the context in which that advice is given, could be given through the lens of a certain lifestyle, a certain time frame. But like, I think that's a thing. Whether you're young or middle-aged, you're trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. You're trying to have it all figured out. Because we don't, it seems like we don't like uncertainty. But I think your message, if I'm hearing you is, Sometimes you have to try it on for size to see if it fits or not. And you get it on, you're like, well, I thought that dream job was going to be like perfect, but turns out, you know, it's tight in the crotch. (laughs) You know, it's like, I I, I need something different. Mm -hmm. And I think giving yourself permission to do that. And, you know, as a side to what you were saying about my dad, like education saved his life. Like he was only able to leave the country because he was educated. 
And so there's very deep roots they're not going to appreciate that. But for this context or for my life, it just wasn't appropriate. Right. And when we did come to terms later, um, the only time he's ever apologized to me in my life and said, but to be fair, in my time, I would have been right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And he would have been. It's yeah. just not the same time. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't that it was inappropriate. It was just out of context and it, and it didn't necessarily translate to this new life. I, I love the saying, you know, in our 20s, we're concerned about what everyone thinks about us. In our 40s, we don't care what anyone thinks about us. And in our 60s, we realized that no one was thinking about us to begin with. Right. <laughs> and I just, I just feel like that's, I mean, who else have you thought about today besides yourself? Probably not. I mean, you have your kids, which is an extension of yourself, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Not a lot. And so most people are like that. And, you know, a lot of it, like we have a lot more leeway than I think we give ourselves credit for. And I think the more that I have now, you know, I'll say accomplished with quotes in, in material success, the more I am excited about the things that I can do. And that was why the opening of the book was like, there are no rules. Mm -hmm. And it just took me a very long time to realize that. And I continue to unlearn rules that I thought existed, yes. you know, as I continue to you know go on this journey. Yeah. I love that idea of unlearning. I think we all just try to go back to being like we were when we were children, just because when, when you're a child, you're purely present. Uh, you're just present in the moment. Yeah. And I, I, I don't like the word happy very much. Um, I prefer using joy because you can be, you can mourn joyfully, mm -hmm. right? Because it's internal rather than happiness, which I feel like is more like happenstance. It's more from external. And so, um, you know, what are the things that bring me joy? What are the things that I find, you know, find joy in? And I think for anyone who's, who's listening, it's a much harder question to answer what are the things that bring me joy than answering the question, what are the things I hate? And it's easier to correct those first. <laughs> You're like, well, I hate my job and I hate my relationship and I hate the city. Okay, those are all very changeable. And a lot of times you get there by, uh, by inversion. Well, if I wanted to destroy my life, I wanted to have the worst life possible, what would I do? And then taking all those things that you would do to really destroy your life and make your life miserable and then reverse them. It's a much easier way to solve the positive psychology equation, in my opinion. Yeah, I love that. I, and I'm remembering this, this Picasso quote, which is, I think he said, Everyone is born an artist, yeah. right? And then eventually we, we uh, you know, get convinced that we're not. Yeah, yeah. And we have to really just strip away and get, you know, get back to basics. 